Good morning, Saints. I'm glad you're here today, and uh, if you're a guest, you're certainly welcome. If you haven't already, or I haven't already met you, I'm Pastor John. And uh, our deacon, uh, Jay Luna, opened us up this morning. We're trying to make sure everybody will get to know who all our new deacon and deaconesses are. And uh, so if they're in the room, let's make them stand. Yes, let's make them stand. All the deacon and deacon, look around the room. Yay. Thank you. And thanks for serving and being available. The reason I'm up here is because he prayed for me as I would preach. So let me preach. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I'm done. Because we have many gifts in this assembly, right? And gifted brothers and sisters. And sometimes... Hi there. I'm trying. My wife tells me I'm trying often, but that's a different subject. Ba-boom. Sometimes uh, Mike, when he's leading worship, gets going on something. You ever notice that? And on occasion, I want to say, preach it, brother. I'll give you my notes and you keep going. So today, that's exactly what we're going to do. Mike is going to encourage us because there are things God puts in his heart to speak to us. And he sent something to my wife and I that you're going to find really encouraging, and we're going to use it again. I'll come back, I'll full circle around after he shares with us uh, to look to the Lord's table and rejoice in what Christ has done on our behalf. Everybody good with that? Amen. And by the way, yes. So for my second sermon, uh, also you be prepared because as we love to do, it's in the Bible. Everyone has a word, a witness, a testimony, a word of knowledge, a tongue and interpretation. Some of us are saying, not in this church. But what if it happened? What if God wanted to show up and do whatever he wants? Well, that's the deal. Make sure it's from God and then let her rip. First thing you do is make sure it's from God. So enough of that. Or you won't have any time to preach. True. Mike Hopper, our worship leader. Thank you. I guess I should thank the pastors and elders for this opportunity uh, to share with you today. Kind of feel like the, uh, the water boy at the end of the bench who everybody got carted off, so they, they threw me a uniform and said, don't screw it up or get killed. So... You might no. You're good. You can no, do whatever I don't you want. want to leave my notes all right. Thanks. Thanks. All this junk. That'll help you. So I, I told him I was going to give this the old college try, and I walked right into Yoda. Come on, I do it. No, you said do or do not. There is no try. So I'm going to try to do. Uh, I did bring some clips of actual preachers. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be leaning heavy on them. Um, no, like, meaning like I'm not an actual preacher. You're an actual one, but they get clips of you all the time, live and in person. I digress. Our text today is Luke 23, 32 to 43. And we're going to be talking about the thief on the cross. Now, two others who were criminals were also being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. 
But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. And the people stood by watching. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of Jews, the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Whew, the word of the Lord. I'm not quite sure what to do with my hands. <laughs> um, just going to hold on for dear life here. So uh, <laughs> 19th century British theologian J.C. Ryle said of this uh, passage, few passages in the New Testament are more familiar to men's ears. And it is right and good that these verses should be well known. They have comforted many troubled minds. They have brought peace to many uneasy consciences. They have been a healing balm to many wounded hearts. They have been a medicine to many sin-sick souls. They have smoothed down not a few dying pillows. Wherever the gospel of Christ is preached, they will always be honored, loved, and had in remembrance. So here on the cross, we have three expressions of the heart. Three crosses. Uh, three men in the process of being executed for crimes against the Roman Empire, two of which were actually guilty. Um, you have the hardened heart referenced in verse 39. You have the softened heart in verses 40 to 42. And we have the Savior's heart in verse 43. And in these few verses, we see a microcosm of the world we live in today and very likely expressions of the heart in this room. And maybe we have all of them at different times. So we're going to unpack that a little bit and, and, and look at it. So the story of the penitent or repent, repentant thief is, is only found in Luke. That said, it's important to... Note that the other Gospels do mention both criminals, and Matthew and Mark point out that both of the criminals were mocking Jesus. Matthew 27, 44 says, And the rebels who had been crucified with him were also insulting him in the same way. And Mark 15, 32 says, Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. So this leads us to understand that at some point between when they got there and the scene that begins in verse 39, one of the criminals undergoes this massive transformation, this 180. And all of a sudden he goes from yelling at Jesus and mocking Jesus to turning to his buddy down, down the way and, and rebuking him for doing the very things that he had been doing. This is a miracle. 
The best, the best parallel is probably Paul on the Damascus Road, where he's walking down the road full of hatred for Jesus, full of hatred for Christians. He's on his way to persecute and execute Christians. And all of a sudden, he's on his merry way, and bam! God invades his life. He slams him to the ground, he blinds him, and he saves him. And that's, that's how salvation works. It's, it's not always that dramatic, but it's always that miraculous. So in verse 39, we had... Oh, don't do that. Don't, don't look at the mic. I'm sorry. A lot of empathy coming your way right now. But in verse 39, we have the hard-hearted criminal shouting at Jesus, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. In the face of a certain and horrific death, this man is using his final moments to slander his creator. It's like, it's a really ironic scene because they're yelling at Jesus, save yourself and us, save yourself and us. And by not saving himself, he's saving us. <laughs> this guy is so focused on the life he's in the process of losing. You know, he, he has no concept of, of what is to come and of who this man is that's hanging next to him. So now we have a second expression of the heart at Calvary. We have the softened heart, the penitent heart. Beginning in verse 40, it says, But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. It's an old saying, the same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. And the same Savior hangs between these two criminals, and both heard him pray, Father, forgive them. And yet one has his fate sealed in rejection, and the, and the other, repentance. It's not entirely clear what made the guy figure out who Jesus was, but, but once it clicks, the reaction is nothing short of amazing. In verse 40, when he says to the hardened thief, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? He could have, he could have said, don't you realize who you're speaking to? <laughs> don't you realize that you're about to slip away into eternal damnation and salvation is literally hanging right beside you? He cares for this guy all of a sudden. He's evangelizing on his deathbed. He just figured it out and he's Telling the good news. <laughs> he acknowledges Jesus' position and, and he defends him. And then he confesses his own guilt and sin while confessing the innocence of Jesus. Verse 41. And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. In that one statement, he understands the sin of the hard-hearted man. He understands his own sin. And he understands the sinlessness of Jesus. In the face of death, he finally sees the truth of who he is and who Christ is. It's like he got that can of V8 that you're always, you know, could have had a V8. He had the V8. <laughs> There's no way for us to know just how much or how little this man understood about the true nature of Christ in that moment. But what was revealed to him was enough. For him to take that leap of faith and acknowledge Christ's ability to save him. Verse 42, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
It's the prayer of, of a dying man to a dying Savior. It's a very humble, childlike, simple prayer. It's not full of theology. It's not full of big words or any of that. It's what, regardless of what little he knew of God, the nature of God, the theology of God, he understood in that moment that there's a kingdom beyond this world and that the man hanging next to him, Jesus, was the one true king. There's, of course, one more expression of the heart there at Calvary. There's the Savior's heart. In verse 43, and he said to him, this is Jesus, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing act of love at the most horrific moment of Christ's life. In this moment where he's bleeding, dying, struggling for breath, he demonstrates unimaginable power. The power to save. Even on the brink of his own death, he's, as 1 John 1, 9 says, faithful and just to forgive. To forgive the poor sinner hanging right next to him and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. And not only is he going to remember him, he says, today you're going to be with me. Eternity starts today with you and me. It's amazing. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Able to save forever, always lives to make intercession for them. Not just when it's convenient for him. And there it is. We, we, have, we have no hope apart from that. We have no hope apart from Christ interceding for us, standing between us and God. John Piper, I, I, I heard him say once that you don't need quantity, you need reality. And what he means by that is no matter how many righteous deeds you stack up, no matter how many Bible verses you post on Facebook or little old ladies you help across the street or fill in the blank. You, you, you don't bring any of that to the table at the end of, of your days. You don't, they're not like ticket stubs that gain you admission to glory. None of that, you know, in the, in the midst of all those little good little deeds, you're, you're going to fail time and time again. So when he says you don't bring quantity, you bring you need to bring reality. What he means is, is there real evidence? Real evidence in the midst of a changed, yet imperfect, stumbling life that you trust Jesus as your Savior King. On the cross there, the, the thief, with an imperfect, stumbling, disaster of a life, found reality made that change, trusted his Savior who was hanging right next to him. So maybe, maybe you've never trusted him. Maybe, maybe you've been churched your whole life. But you've never really truly experienced the transforming power of the cross. And to be completely honest, I, f I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of this. I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been churched my whole life. I've been coming to this church since... 88? 87? Yeah, sounds about right. Um, but I, I just feel like I'm just, I'm just 
starting to understand what happened there on the cross. And that's where faith and trust come in. I have, I have a lot of friends that grew up in the church, and, and it was always an intellectual exercise for some of them. It was like, I, I just need to gain knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, but they never experienced reality. And a lot of them are, have walked away because they just, can't, they just can't prove it on paper. There was no faith. There was never that leap of faith. But it's right there on the cross. And it's so simple. Like, maybe it's frustrating to you that this guy lived such a disaster of a life, but right there at the end, that little leap of faith, that little bit of trust was enough. That's all any of us bring, though. (laughs) We have a younger generation in this country who may have grown up in church and now flat out resent the church because their parents were good at church but not good at life. (laughs) They struggle attending a place that consumed their parents' time, but never transformed their private life. But there's good news. As long as you have breath in your lungs, it's not too late. And that was evidence right there at Calvary with that thief. He lived a life of rebellion, but at the end the lights came on and he said, Jesus, remember me. So I want to play one of, one of those clips now. Uh, this is Alistair Begg. Uh, I've, I've sat under him a few times at, at Camp of the Woods, and he's a pretty phenomenal preacher. He's Scottish and uh, has an awesome, you know, that, that brings a little gravitas as it is with the accent. Um, but this, this so beautifully sums up the amazing grace that took place there at the cross. So. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, ne- you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you, Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, the man on the middle cross said, 
I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's all we, any of us bring. Regardless of whether you've been doing this your whole life or you still haven't figured it out. <laughs> if your heart's hard, I want to invite you to look upon the cross of Christ and allow his power to transform you. That thief on the cross is proof that none are out of his reach. If your heart is softened, then I would invite you to use whatever days you have left. I would challenge you to look at the world, look at each other with the heart of the Savior. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Galatians, says, Paul now tells the story of the Messiah's death and resurrection as his own story. This is part of what it means that he is in the Messiah. What is true of the Messiah is true of him. Christ ascended into heaven and left us here to be filled with his spirit to be his hands and feet, and for, for better or worse, to be his representatives here until he comes again. I think a lot of us, myself included, are really good at the worse and struggle with the better. <laughs> so I brought another clip of another preacher. <laughs> this is Derwin Gray. Der, don't, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> Derwin, uh, Derwin used to play in the NFL, which provides some context when he talks about wanting to tackle someone. Um, but now he pastors a church in, in South Carolina, and uh, he talks about how we as Christians, if we are the hands and feet of Christ, and if we are his representatives here, we might turn this world upside down if we reject our own nature to be hard towards those that need him so desperately, our own nature to fight, fight the culture. A culture that so desperately needs Christ. Instead, we walk in the way of the Spirit. Play that footage. For some reason, over the last, like, I would say 30 years, it's like, we need to protect Jesus. So I'm going to put on my gloves, and you know what? A presidential candidate can destroy the Bible. Y'all remember that one? I'm like, hold on. Hold on. So the church has lasted longer than... Nero, longer than the medieval uh, uh, times, and then all of a sudden a politician in 2021 is going to destroy Christianity and the Bible? Is our God that puny? Is our God that weak? So you know what? Man, we had better put on our gloves and we got to fight the culture. We got to jab the culture. We got to jab the culture. See, I don't get to do this anymore because I'm a pastor, but there's a lot of rage up in a brother and I just can't get it out because I can't tackle nobody. I still want to do it even though my back won't let me but even just but this is the way we want to protect Jesus. Oh we got to protect him from the liberals. We got to protect him from the communists. We got to protect him from the capitalists. We got to protect him and protect him and God is like <laughs> you do know I rose from the dead right? 
<laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, you do know that every star you see, 330 million in our galaxy, and there are 330 million galaxies that we know. I protected them all. I walked on the water. I rose from the dead. I died on the cross. I'm the king of kings. So listen, take off your little gloves. Take them off. Take off your little gloves. And let's do this instead. Ephesians 4.2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. See why I brought clips? All any of us bring to the table is Christ crucified. He didn't need our protection on the cross, and he doesn't need our protection today. It seems like every year we're arguing with each other and with the world about whatever the newest and latest threat to the gospel is. There's no such thing as a threat to the gospel. The gospel is an announcement of a victory already won. Now, there are threats to people understanding or believing the gospel. So don't get those mixed up. And I think the devil uses the misdeeds of us just as often as he uses the trappings of the world to distract from what is true. But the gospel itself is never under threat. It can't be. That victory was won on the cross. So we're not called to fight the culture for him. We're called to love because he first loved us. All our hope is in Jesus. And if I've trusted him and I'm following the lead of the spirit, if you've trusted him, then the natural byproducts of that should be the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Things that don't look like that are not of the spirit. When you don't sound like that, Regardless of what, how right you think you are, it's not of the Spirit if it doesn't look like that. When we take our eyes off the cross and start to trust ourselves, we go one of two ways. We either fall into despair over how we don't measure up, and we just beat ourselves up. Or, probably worse, we become arrogant. And we think, oh, I got this figured out. All right, you know, prayer, Bible, Jesus, go to church, you know. And if only they were like me, this world would be a better place. God help us. The thief on the cross figured something out that some of us who have been church folk have either missed or lost, lost sight of. That we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. But thanks be to God that His mercy is new every morning. And each new day we have an opportunity to fix our eyes on the builder, the architect, the author, and finisher of our faith. So... As we approach communion in, in this time of, of self-examination, let's remember the words of the song that we sang earlier. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That's all I got, bud. <laughs> 
he was so concerned about it that I had a little backup stuff. I don't think I need it, do you? Great job. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Now I'm really concerned you get more applause than I do. I just... Just kidding, folks. I'll just read a couple of verses that will set the stage for us going around the Lord's table because what the Lord's table is is our looking back to that event that Mike just preached about. Three crosses. One important one right in the center. And that's what we're told by our Master Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not just a formality. It's a moment of making our spirit open to be touched by his spirit, to actually sense him in the presence with us. And so we'll have opportunity to speak life to one another as well. But some of you know I've encouraged us time and time again to read some of uh, Tim Keller's material. And uh, Mike's uh, choice of preachers was outstanding today. And uh, I know how I'm going to cover the rest of my tenure here. I'm just going to get a lot of clips like these great preachers and (laughs) sit and watch. And it works, he says. Tim Keller uh, made this statement about the definition of a Christian. The definition of a Christian is an honored failure. A justified sinner, both righteous and fallen. Righteousness is not something we gain by working for it. We receive it because Jesus died on the cross. Only when we see that we are still sinners, but sinners who are justified by him, can we understand and experience the dynamic, dynamite love of Christ. So there are two verses that remind us of this, and one most of you should have memorized if you've been a Christian for a while. And if not, put it on your list. If you're a new Christian, make sure you get this in your arsenal. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Everybody knows it, I think. For by grace, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Even that faith is not of yourselves. If you exegete the text properly, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. Amen? In fact, I was thinking about it as Mike was preaching and that phenomenal illustration that uh, Alistair Begg gave of the, the angel in a perplexed state. I'll, let me get my supervisor. I don't know even what to say to you. And the only thing he says is, the guy on the middle cross, he said I could come. I remember my, the day that I came to faith and the gospel became real for me. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to recite the four spiritual laws or pray the prayer in the back of the booklet. I don't know what came over me. Yeah, I do now. It was grace moving in on me. All I did was seal it on my knees. I didn't make it happen. He made it happen. So if you have put your trust in him, It's all of his glory because he rescued us out of the goodness of his great love, right? Sending his son to pass away on our behalf. Here's what Paul says in the next verse I wanted to share. That I may be found in him. Philippians chapter 3. He gets it clear. Not having a righteousness of my own. 
Now, by the way, Michael, your preaching today was really good. We've already had the discussion about ministry. You have a ministry, whether you're in the ministry or not. I actually learned something. I know that's hard to believe. Pastor John learned something. I never pondered that that one thief on the cross was evangelizing. He was evangelizing just before he died. How did he get into heaven? Here's what Paul says. Not a righteousness of my own derived from the law. I didn't have a chance to get baptized. I didn't have a chance to do good deeds. I couldn't do any Hebrew mitzvot, acts of righteousness. I couldn't. No time. I'm hanging on the cross. He did do something, though. He evangelized. His deed of righteousness will follow him, but it didn't get him in. Everybody get that straight? When we get to glory, God promised us on top of us being justified, honored failures and sinners. We get in totally by the grace of God because the guy on the middle cross said we could come. But he will also reward us. And so that first deed of righteousness, him doing evangel, I think he gets a little point. But we'll find out. I'm with Alistair Begg. I want to talk to that guy when I get there. How did this go down? Let me finish the verse and I'll shut up. That which is through faith in Christ. What kind of righteousness? Not what I earned and not what you have to continue to earn. I'm telling you too many Christians are stuck on that. Which is why the gospel is dangerous. Oh, you don't want to preach that. Your sins, past, present, and future, are wiped out the minute you receive Jesus Christ, right? Well, that means I can get saved and do whatever I want. Yeah, that is a possibility. He said that in church? Yes. Otherwise, you're earning it, and you're not. But if you're born again, if you really got it, man, my whole orientation changed, and so did yours deep inside, not of my own, but that which comes down from God on the basis of faith, the gift, the imputation of the righteousness of Christ placed upon me, which is why the words of that song say, he'll look upon Jesus and not judge me. And it's still justice, the man on the middle cross. Well, we want to praise the one on the middle cross today. We're doing this today in remembrance of him. And what I'd like to do is invite you to take the cup. We know that uh, what led up to that crucifixion was his betrayal. And as Paul said, it was on the night that he was betrayed that he set this in motion. He encouraged his followers, those people who had been recipients of that wonderful grace, to do this regularly, to remember how it is that we've become the people of God. How have we become children of God? How do we have that assurance that we will get in? Even if we dumbfound the angel welcoming us in, because we don't know a lot about hypostatic union of the two natures of Christ, or all the details of the second coming are unclear to us, guess what? That's not what gets you in. It's what he's done for you. Have you received it by faith? Have you? Amen. Do I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Jesus took the bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. And he asked all of his disciples to partake of it. I'm going to pray and then let's partake together. 
What a profound and amazing grace, Lord. That we should be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the children of God. We're grateful, Lord, for what you did for us. We're thankful for you giving your body to be abused and put to death in order that we may gain life. And Lord, as we partake of this, we speak silently, if you will, that we are yours and that we are taking into ourselves your very grace that you have given. A picture of us receiving what happened on that cross. A picture of us following in the footsteps of that thief who repented. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus Christ, in your name we thank you. Amen. Let's partake together. Don't open the cup yet, let's just spill it. But we're going to open the floor for testimony. And what I would like to encourage you to do is to focus toward... I've got one right here. Yeah, and we're going to ask you to come up here uh, if you would like to share so that we can people out in the television land, because we're still on television, you know, can see you as you share your, uh, your uh, testimony. If you won the lottery this week, I don't really want to hear about that unless you're planning a big tithe. <laughs> that will bring grace to the whole congregation. But really what we want to do is speak into the fact that God's grace has worked in our life in some way, changed us, ministered to us. So I'm opening the floor. Who'd like to be first? Don't be bashful. Um, otherwise, I'm going to pray and we'll go home. Here comes Ryan. If you're shy, we have one behind the camera too. So don't let that stop you if you have a word. Encourage us all. Um, so anyone who knows me knows my story about my previous church. And something went down. I got burned out. Went to my pastor for help. He didn't. So when it came to like taking on extra responsibilities, I kind of have a stigma about it now. But <clears throat> when God wants you to do something, I'm learning in this season that he'll give you what you need to do it. So it doesn't matter what I am or am not capable of. So it's just been an interesting season because I got asked to be a deacon. Then the head of our sign and multimedia ministry announced he was moving. Then we noticed that an elder was moving as well. And it was just like, okay, so it seems like all of a sudden there's going to be a whole lot more responsibility on me. God, I said I wasn't going to do this at the new church. Not going to happen. But the word that God has been bringing to me, and it's very interesting that they brought up, you know, uh, we love others because God loved us first. It's also gotten to a place in my life where now I hear him saying, I've accepted you. Will you accept me? And since he's got a plan for me, apparently, in this season, and a plan for each and every one of us in this season, are we really willing to accept him? Because the truth of the matter is, if God is love and God is good, and he has our best interest at heart, no matter what he brings for us to do, if we accept him and follow along with it, he'll be everything that we're not to make that happen. His word is never going to come back void. He's not going to make a promise and then not deliver. So just be encouraged with that, as I have been. 
body of Christ does speak life to each other, right? So want to do that. Anyone else? I have been kind of getting discouraged for quite a bit. And um, <laughs> hit a breaking point today. Um, a verse came up to me today. I was kind of just kinda sitting up here before church started. And I saw this thing on Facebook, nonetheless. And I looked it up. And it was the verse of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And it's, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For the heavens are higher than the earth. So my, my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts are higher than yours. And I, it clicked that nothing I do, no matter how much I fight, and I kind of prayed about it, I've been fighting God like a stubborn child that got his toys taken away because I didn't get something that I wanted. I've been fighting with him. And he still was there. He held me. He helped me up. No matter how much I screamed, fought with him, <laughs> went away, walked away, came back, he just stayed there. And he's always there. And he loves everybody all the same. As he loved the thief on the cross, no matter what he did, he turned and he said, you're accepted. So even if you're discouraged, it's a little thing that can turn it around. That was providential, Caitlin, because, you know, I was thinking about whether I should talk or not. So I'll talk, because Caitlin talked. I read Job, um, and I didn't like it one little bit. (laughs) The whole argument, the whole first part of the book, when Job is just angry and just saying, you know, God, I don't like it. Why don't you just kill me now? Get it over with. I've had enough. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I don't think you know what you're doing. And I thought, well, that's true. Lots of people think that all the time. And we get to the end, and I'm going to read it to you, where Job answered the Lord, and he said, I know that thou canst do all things. That's it. Trust it. She is, too. I I just have to say something, because God is so good to me. I mean, really, really good. And then when I listened to Michael this morning, and it's, it's just bring pleasure to my heart. And I remember, I said, I want to be that man or that woman that was there with Jesus when he was in his agony and said, you will be with me in paradise. That's my hope and that's my joy. I want to serve God with all my heart, with all my soul, to see that I be in paradise with God because I could have chosen any other way because I have my own way to do. They said, when you're grown, so I'm grown, fully grown. So I have a choice of choosing, but I choose righteousness. I choose to serve God, and I want this church to know that I'm so glad I get to come into the church and learn. Because this is where you get, every Sunday you come to church, you during the week, you know, you try to do things on your own and pray and stuff like that, like I do. But on Sunday, when you come in, you kind of get sharpened. 
You know, you, you, it's like a whole new, and you learn things. Like Pastor said, he learned something today, you know, from Michael saying. So I just want to give God the glory. I don't want to be both what I do, what I say, but just give God the glory and thank him. Praise God for giving me love and saving me. And I hope you guys feel the same. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. I would like to ask three brothers or sisters in the room to stand and pray and uh, give thanks for the sacrifice of Christ, for what his spirit is doing, any stirring that he's doing, that he would continue to fan into flame here at Harmony, right? Let's pray together, okay? Let's pray. Yeah, Father, um, Yeah, Jesus, thank you for uh, sustaining us. Um, Lord, I just like think to, to the table and to the bread and to the cup, Lord, and I just pray that we all live lives where we need you to sustain us. Um, God, in such a way where it's just like we come to church and to this, this brotherhood and this sisterhood, um, just just knowing that, that you're, you're what's keep, keeping us going. Um, Lord, because um, eternal life is, is here and it's right now. Um, Jesus, I just pray that, um, oh man, we would just run this race well, um, and we would push each other um, only towards you, um, you know, knowing that you're the Lord. Um, So, yeah, amen. Father, as we reflect on the the message Michael brought us in the three crosses, um, we need to put ourselves up there, Lord, and say we're not worthy of this, of your sacrifice. We're not worthy to sit here and take this communion, but you made it so by your sacrifice, Lord, and you invite us to this. And Lord, we thank you for those who spoke this morning, and we do feel your spirit moving among us. But we we never get complacent and say that's enough, because it's never enough, Lord. We want more and more of you in this place, in our lives. We want to be reflections of you, true reflections, Lord. Not just in this building, but out in the world. We think of those people that we all know who are the other thief on the cross. May we have the the boldness, Lord, to speak out to them, to evangelize, not to hold back. We have no fear, Lord, because you are in us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for this opportunity to again come and remember what you did for us. And we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we continue to give you thanks and praise for your sacrifice on our behalf. I I thank God of um, some of the sharing today. Your word tells us that um, the body of Christ is knit together so that we might minister to one another. When one is down, another can lift them up and the other way around. Just a small taste today of being real and transparent. Lord, the fact that some of us are struggling, some of us are discouraged, some of us are, our hearts maybe are crusted over, been disappointed too long or whatever it might happen to be. And others of us are excited with hope. 
Lord, there's got to be a way by your spirit to rub against each other and encourage one another, build each other up, move us ahead. Lord, this should be the place of peace, encouragement, healing. should be a safe place for true Christians to say, I dropped the ball. Instead of hiding, as so many times happens on Sunday mornings, we paint on a smile and make believe everything's fine. Lord, we need the work of your spirit to free us up and make us real like the velveteen rabbit to really become real so that those who are on that other cross say, I want some of that. I don't know how it happened, but I want some. Thank you for your grace toward us. We praise you and bless you. We gather now as we uh, have remembered your death on our behalf. Lord, I'm grateful, as I mentioned earlier, for the day that you found me. And I I pray, God, as my brothers and sisters are hearing the sound of my voice, that they might think back to the day you found them. Think of that day when I realized I was in trouble. I was on the wrong path. And that you opened the door for me to walk through for us to walk through. Because of that, we give you thanks. And we acknowledge, God, that the reason that that is even possible is represented in this little cup that we hold, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that the blood of Jesus, as has already been mentioned today, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving of your life and your life blood for the remission of our sins so that we might not only know you and be saved and on our way to heaven, but we might be a people. We who were not a people have become the people of God. We praise you and thank you in the great name of Jesus, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you would carefully uncover your drink, if you haven't already done so. At Harmony, we have a little tradition stolen from Tales of the Kingdom by the Maines family. And I'm going to ask you, if you can, you don't have to, to stand. And we acknowledge that we are now subjects of a king. We're not just citizens of America. We're going to celebrate that today, of course. Be safe out there, all you people who have stuff you're going to blow up. (laughs) I know what you're like. And uh, be careful. But that's only one kind of freedom. The freedom that Jesus has given us is profound. And way beyond that. So we say to him, we have a chant, to the king and to his kingdom. Because there is a king. And he's our savior. And so, brothers and sisters, to the king and to his kingdom, there is a king. Amen. We bless your name, we worship you, we say hallelujah, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for your grace poured out on our behalf. Put your angels around your servants today. Bring us back stronger in the days ahead. Continue to strive with us, Holy Spirit, and we'll thank you. In the great name of Jesus, amen.